Well, 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 we are back for another edition of Are You a Robot? Today, I am speaking with none other than Rob Price. Let's hear a little intro from him and then get into this conversation. Hi, I'm Rob. Um, I'm here to talk about corporate digital responsibility, which is something that I'm passionate about having been involved in it the last four, four or five years or so. I have a career as a technologist and done a number of roles in, in large global corporate businesses and small businesses, chief digital officer, uh, chief operating officer, consulting partner and others. But here today, I'm here to talk about corporate digital responsibility and the onus on us all to do things that help create more positive outcomes for the planet and society as a whole. Here we go again for another episode in the series, Are You a Robot? Thanks for joining in. I am the host, Demetrius Brinkman. And if you are new to this series, let me give you a bit of background detail before we hop into the full conversation. Are You a Robot is a series that aims to tackle some of the most important questions that we have stemming from AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing that is we're grabbing some of the best and brightest minds in their respective fields, the thought leaders, you could say, and we are asking them to come on here and speak with me about what it is that they're doing. So I will mention that the conversation does not stop here. If you like anything that you hear, please jump into our Slack channel. We have a full workspace where we are talking about all of these different topics and themes. And we have some of the past guests that are in there commenting on the most topical subjects coming up when it comes to AI ethics, ESG, all of this good stuff that we speak about daily on the pod. Now, last but not least, we are going to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Ethics Grade. For everyone that is an avid listener of the show, you know they've been the sponsor from the beginning. I cannot thank them enough because without them, we would not be here and we would definitely not have the caliber or quality of guests that we have. The thing that I want to mention for all of you, in case you don't know who Ethics Grade are. They're an ESG benchmarking firm that is specifically centered around AI ethics. And recently, what is really cool is you can go to their website and you can check out how they have rated some of the biggest companies around their AI ethics. So that means that you can compare TikTok versus Twitter or Toyota versus Tesla. You can even see Alibaba versus Amazon in how they're doing their AI programs and in in ethical fashion. So if you'd like to see more about that, have a play around, click the link below and you'll find out all the information you need. Also, if you'd like to have your company be benchmarked, then reach out to them. They're a great group of people. I cannot thank them enough for sponsoring this podcast. And without further ado, we can speak with Rob. Let's hear what he has to say. Are you a robot? Rob, welcome. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Today, I think that we can jump into a lot of these ideas of corporate digital responsibility and what you are advocating for. But maybe before we get into that juicy stuff, you can give us a bit of background on 
how you came to be where you're at right now and what led you to have these ideas about the corporate digital responsibility? Yeah, sure. So um, I think maybe for the last 20 years, I'd been involved in helping organizations use emergent technologies to add value to their business. And whether that was um, creating websites for government or utilizing technology to make the Olympics work or um, helping global organizations adopt cloud technologies or do cool things with data, whatever it was, that was my role. Um, and, and, and thoroughly enjoyed that, uh, working in kind of lots of different environments um, with different technologies. And, and I became known as, as in, in some ways, in some circles, Mr. Digital. Uh, I helped define what is digital, for example, for the Management Consultancy Association, the consulting industry, when they had their year of digital about five or six years ago. Um, so I, th I think I, I got to start thinking with a couple of difficult questions, what's the broader impact? And, and, and some of those questions were, when we talk about digital transformation, um, where is that equally valuable for all of the business, the shareholders, the employees, the end consumer? Who was thinking about it holistically rather than um, yeah. disrupting the market to kind of gain, gain advantage to uh, be better than uh, the competitors to deliver ever more personalized services to consumer to enable them to spend more? Um, and and we, we started about four or five years ago uh, as part of a global think tank with this premise that said the digital divide was growing. And it was growing because the pace of change of technology was too great for everybody to keep up. Everybody as individuals, everybody as a corporate business, it was just too rapid. And um, so that was our hypothesis. And, and the digital divide not being just about connectivity, services, broadband, but the digital divide being recognizing that that constantly changes. And if everyone was connected, does that enable them to equally gain value, for example, out of blockchain or quantum computing or machine learning? No, was the answer. Um, and mm -hmm. we set a global team looking on at it. We, I mean, there was most, um, some of us in the UK, the US, Senegal, India, Netherlands. So we had a range of people input. And um, uh, we did a global survey of how people felt about technologies. Uh, how do you feel about using an Alexa? How do you feel about the concept of nanobots in your bloodstream fighting disease? How do you feel about banking on a mobile phone kind of thing? Um, and out of that, we, we created and coined the term corporate digital responsibility. The things that businesses had to think about to enable a fairer and more equitable benefit for all of society as a whole, for the planet as a whole, such that there, and we were thinking about sustainability, not just in terms of environmental, but in terms of societal sustainability, business sustainability. Um, but that that's where we landed on it. About 2017, um, and started publishing kind of um, blogs and uh, papers 2018. And you talk about looking at it as a holistic view. Can we dig into that a little bit more? Why is that needed? And how have you seen it not being looked at as a holistic view? 
I, I think you're you're right to make the point because what I see globally is um, different countries, different markets are looking at the principles of what I've just talked about, either in part or whole. So in the UK, for example, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, environmental sustainability. I mean, there's a big focus on that this year, environmental bill, COP26, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about AI and ethics, data and ethics, yeah. but not kind of perhaps the term CDR. Whereas if if you're in Germany or Switzerland, for example, then corporate digital responsibility has grown massively in, in, in that, that part of the world. There are business associations, government initiatives, um, many big businesses are defining what their commitments are around CDR. In, in Switzerland, uh, Ethos Fund, which uh, investment fund around the pensions for top 200 Swiss businesses, have defined corporate digital responsibility. And that's the lens that they are looking at those organisations and, 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 and decisions that they're then making around investment that's being made. So the, one of the challenges with CDR is it's so big, it com- encompasses so many things, yet um, equally, can, if somebody's focused on um, AI ethics, well, that's kind of equally quite narrow. That's, that, so, so where's the right balance between... And, 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 and when you might have seen some of the things that I talk about on the website are, are, are around whose responsibility in the boardroom are these issues. I think my worry if somebody was just thinking about AI ethics, for example, then it misses some of those broader and adjacent points that are equally critical the challenge with CDR is that who is it who's got that full breadth and holistic view, as you say? Exactly. But yeah. but the balance is somewhere in between. And if 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 we if through CDR and the work that, that and it's not, um, but, I mean there are many people around the world who have contributed to where CDR is today. If if through creating that framework and understanding that helps organisations consider um, the breadth of what might need to be put in place or addressed or built or, or, or more positive things done around it, they can choose where to focus. It's not to say everyone needs to do each aspect of CDR to an equal um, equal effort, if you like, um, but it is many, many aspects to it, I agree. What, one of the things, I mean, uh, Samsung announced at the start of this year their commitment to CDR, they're very focused on the inclusion and accessibility aspects of that. Which, which logically makes sense, doesn't it, as a, as a global product business. Um, so I think it's, that's a good example of somebody who's said, we get, we get the term, that's important to us. It, it shows the purpose that we have as an organisation, and this is the aspect of it that we want to focus in on. Do you feel like it still is as effective if you do it that way, where you're just focusing in on one piece? I think about... This is, might be a horrible example, but like people who say that they're religious or spiritual and they just follow one piece of the Bible and then forget about the rest and end up being horrible people. <laughs> so I wonder what would it be like when you're just focusing on, on a narrow piece, is it 
a great start, but trying to get to that holistic view or should it be, we need to look at this holistically from the get-go? My, my feeling is it's both. So a, a narrow start somewhere is better than no start. So, so, so I think in all of these things, in, in terms of that principle of what can we do to close the digital divide to create more positive outcomes for society and the planet, well, anything anywhere is, is, helps nudge it in the right direction. Right? So, so first thing is no issue with kind of organizations doing something. Um, I think it also helps to have um, corporate leadership visible at a global level in some of these areas. So, so we can probably all point to organizations that are uh, spending a lot of time and effort focused around um, carbon negative, for example, in terms of kind of climate impact or, mm. uh, or, or talking about um, ethical use of um, data and AI on, on a large scale. So, so it's important to have the top-down leadership um, it's important for people to feel as though they can start somewhere that is small and making a difference and inspire others to kind of do things around them. Um, and hopefully the combination of all of those will begin to make a difference. I think the only thing that I would flag is the scale of some of these challenges is huge. So um, I, I often talk about CDR in the context of uh, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, um, that, that the UN defines 17, um, because in a sense, they are a mechanism by which we can measure the impact of using digital technologies uh, in in positive ways, as we've described through CDR. But the so, the the the, the, um, the to realise what needs to be realised by, say, for example, 2030 around the, the the SDGs and the progress is is a massive thing. So obviously, if if a few organizations just did a bit different, we don't make the progress that we have to make. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I think it's positive that people do something, but we have to recognize that, that, that we have to accelerate massively the things that we are doing as, a business, as businesses and as society uh, to achieve some of the things that need doing. Yeah, and sometimes the most important piece is, like you're talking about, just start and get that momentum going. Once you have a little inertia, hopefully it will attract more to jump on the bandwagon. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if there's like a hierarchy of needs in this framework. Like I imagine that some of these issues that you bring up are more timely than others. I think um, there's, there's, some, there's various pieces of work that are being done. Um, we, we've looked at We've looked at maturity, if you like, around the environmental space, mm -hmm. um, which is one lens of CDR. And um, I, I would hope many organisations have kind of been through the process of measurement. For example, what's what are their emissions? Uh, how, they may even do ESG reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, but how do you move beyond that and, and beyond offsetting to... What are the things that you can tangibly do that are different to um, uh, renewables in your data centers or um, to change behaviors in the way that you travel? Obviously, kind of the, the pandemic has kind of shifted some of that uh, through necessity. We'll see what kind of uh, sustains. But moving beyond that to, uh, I mean, some organizations are, are very much focused around 
how do they uh, mitigate their emissions over the lifetime of their existence, for example, or moving beyond that to what products or services can we bring to market that actually do have uh, a significant and positive effect in terms of mitigating climate change or biodiversity. So, so, that, so there's almost a maturity of level that we're kind of looking at in that space as organisations progress and need to have a greater impact. And I'm sure that that can be done in each of those areas. Uh, I mean, d d data being an obvious one in terms of kind of moving up the, the, the value chain. Um, some organisations, there's some work that I know that's happening in Central Europe around uh, measurement of enabling SMEs to measure their progress around CDR. Um, so, so, so almost self-scorecarding, self-benchmarking to give them guides as to how they might progress through those levels of maturity. But I think I'd, I'd say it's, it's still embryonic. This is something that... Um, whether we talk about it in the holistic lens of CDR or, or, or the uh, adjacent and related things around ESG or B Corp um, or even the niche spaces of, of, of AI ethics, there isn't a kind of decades of history to look at in terms of what's right and wrong here. This is things that are happening over the last five years and what do we need to evolve over the next five years and how do we make a difference in the next five and ten years because that's what we have to do. Yeah, so young and so much that needs to happen in a relatively short amount of time. So let's talk a little bit more about these different case studies. I know you mentioned that Germany and Switzerland are having a large emphasis on CDR and I happen to be in Germany, so I'm a little excited to dive into that and... What exactly are they doing and how are they making it center stage? So I think, I think there's a number of things. Um, so, so there are a range of activities happening uh, and have at different times. So I know, for example, that a few years ago, or a small number of years ago, there was an initiative in the German government to kind of start exploring CDR. Um, I know that um, the LinkedIn group uh, around CDR uh, was started in Germany a couple of years ago. Um, Oliver Merckx looks after that. Uh, he's got a legal background, so his, in, his interest is in some of the legal side of that. Um, uh, actually, kind of the, our podcast that we kind of launched this this week uh, was uh, another conversation with Dr. Saskia Dorr, who wrote the book in Germany on a practical guide to CDR that was published last year. Um, yeah. BVDW, the, one of the associ business associations, have been defining CDR building blocks, uh, which is uh, really trying to kind of put in place some detailed framework um, and, and commonality of definition. Um, and, and, and there's something like 80 businesses are, are very much part of that initiative. There's a couple of other associations that have done similar work uh, in terms of defining that. So... I think what, and another great example, I had a conversation with Valida, um, Jacob Versner, who there, who's their head of digital transformation, who, who had, is delivering a digital transformation very much focused on uh, CDR principles, purpose and planet impact and sustainability, which is at the core of their business. So, so, so there is, there's a lot happening. What I've found 
in a lot of the conversations that I've had is they tend to be happening within the country. So um, what I've been trying to do is join some of the dots across the geographies. So um, yes, to have conversations and, and, and the great work that, and, and I'm sure there's more than those that I've just mentioned, but that's happening in Germany and, and, and equally the work that Ethos have done in Switzerland, um, Jean-Henri Moran at Geneva University has been doing and um, uh, Ninian and, and the Swiss Digital Initiative, that lots of activities um, many of which are using the term explicitly CDR, some of which are kind of using very much com core components of CDR. Yeah. Um, but I think there is that focus in, in Central Europe around how do we get that right balance for sustainable automation and appropriate use of technologies. And I, and I have, in some of the writing that I've done, I, I have wondered if that's perhaps tied in with maybe some of the kind of focus around workers' councils and, and, and um, employment law within those regions as well. Because it's really important that as organisations drive for efficiency and automation, there's a responsibility. I mean, coming back to how do we create positive outcomes for society? Sustainable automation, thinking about the employees, thinking about the impact on society, helping them evolve to... Um, find kind of higher value kind of roles or, or different roles or retraining, whatever it is that's needed, I think is a key part of that journey as well. So so I do wonder if that's why it's been such a strong focus in, in Germany, but there are many great initiatives across, across the piece. That was my next question. I apologize. Why you feel it has taken hold on, that's fine, because we can go even deeper now on that uh, why why you feel like there is this emphasis on the forward thinking in this way it seems that uh we should all be thinking like this or we would hope that most countries or organizations are thinking in this way but yet we see this congregation happening in in Germany and Switzerland do you have any other thoughts as opposed to the the workforce and trying to make sure that there is a, a healthy workforce as we move forward. Are there any anything else that you could think of as to why you can attribute that? I, th I think, um, I mean, in part, if I go back to 2016 when, when we started talking about this, and I should say in 2016 I was working for Worldline, which is a European uh, business, uh, which was an offshoot from Atos European Business. Um, so, um, very much kind of a lot of this work was driven European central. Uh, I mean, it was whether it was France, Germany, Netherlands, uh, Switzerland, kind of there were many people involved um, at that time. But a lot of the conversations I had, um, there wasn't always really a good understanding. I mean, I remember doing conferences in the UK, for example, where I would, so rooms full of technology people, and I would talk about some of the early thinking, um, probably even before the days of talking about CDR, but but principles of digital society, um, closing the d d divide. And, and even in 2016, 2017, I got blank faces and, and, and maybe not an understanding of some of the things that we were trying to talk about. And if I asked how people felt about technology, the impact of technology uh, in terms of were we creating a utopian world or, or, or dystopian uh, visions, 
people often felt more more in the utopian outcomes, right? Until you started talking about some of the negative kind of impacts of some technologies that you could envisage, and then people began to understand. I don't see that now. That was then. There is a good understanding now of some of the issues that we've talked about on the podcast today. There is a better, and and maybe that's been accelerated through the pandemic as as difficult as it has been for everybody. It has focused people's kind of um, attention on we need to do things to create a better and, and fairer world with a better sense of community in it. So I think it's a better topic now uh, in terms of people's understanding. Um, it, it was, it, it, I think also it is very well aligned with ESG and the UN SDGs. And, and therefore, as people have looked at the impact of um, realizing and reporting as businesses, reporting against ESGs, and um, as people have realized that actually ESG measures and, and performance, higher performance, are having an impact in terms of investment decisions that are being made in the movement of capital across Europe, and indeed millennials recruitment or, or, or decisions about who to work for or where to work so therefore the fight for talent i think all of that's beginning to come together so yes there was a logical set of kind of principles but now faced with the fight for talent and how do you kind of persuade people to work for you whatever your organization may be combined with understanding kind of the investment cycles and and, and access to cash it, it, now they're coming and directing it with that common goal. And, and I think that's maybe why um, we're seeing a bit of an acceleration this year and absolutely Europe is at the heart of that. It does feel like it's a natural extension to the ESG. It, like you said, it aligns very closely with that. And I'm wondering, how does it work in practice? Is it something that are just questions that these companies are asking people, are they moving towards certain goals? Do they set goals for themselves and then they try and achieve these goals? What does it actually look like when they, when a company says, all right, we want to be more holistic on this and we want to really be more responsible? Um, how does that look? So, so I th I'm writing a piece at the moment and in essence, I'm talking. It's beginning to talk about CDR as the framework, as the as the mechanism by which you can improve your ESG reporting. I don't mean improve the reporting. I mean improve the effectiveness of your business, that therefore naturally results in 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 positive improvement in the ESG reporting. So, in a, in essence, um, whether we're talking about well, let's let's talk specifically about. Um, uh, digital ethics, so, so AI or, or data ethics. So we know that more organizations are now beginning to think about what do we do about that? We, how does a board determine how its existing kind of views on ethics, which are probably around um, anti-corruption, modern slavery, etc. So how does that evolve to have uh, informed input around data and AI and indeed other potential digital technologies. And we know that, uh, I mean, kind of there are 
uh, analysts uh, which are, are, are talking about the necessity of advisory panels or, 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 or digital uh, ethics boards being present in, in organisations over the next few years. Uh, and we know that some of those boards exist or panels exist. I mean, I, I, there was an article on uh, on the website talking about Merck and, and I uh, interviewed somebody who uh, sat on the advisory board for a, an Australian bank a couple of weeks ago. Um, but they're still embryonic. So how, how, do, how do those get put into place and where is the insight and knowledge and awareness that feeds into that? And how do you then process that advice that might be given to do something differently? And, and how does that turn into value in the context of the way that organizations are currently measured in terms of their market performance, etc.? I think there's, there's work to do there. But but organizations are beginning to get their head around ESG. So if if CDR is the mechanism by which you can consider how do I utilize digital technologies or, or use them in appropriate ways to not just consider what I do inside the organization, but to consider the impact I have outside the organization as well, then that can be the transformation drive, if you like. So, so I see it as a... Um, as a guide to, like Saskia's book, a practical guide to transformation where the impact is viewed more holistically and measured more in the impact it has on social value, society, planet, etc., rather than just on the financial P&L. And, 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 and as I'm sure you're aware, that increasingly there are signs that the ESG performance is having a financial beneficial performance for those businesses that are most effective through that as well. So it's the mechanism through which to evolve. Mm. Yeah, I like how you raised the point of right now there's work to be done when you actually have to get in there and get your hands dirty and figure out what the actions that need to be taken are and how these actions will be taken when it comes to it's not just good enough to have a board and say, we've got this advisory board. You need to figure out, well, what exactly are the ways that this advisory board is going to interact with the company? And my first question, I think you raised this in one of your blog articles, is what happens when the advisory board says things that maybe the business doesn't want to hear? And it's there's that tension, right? You spoke about that tension where the advisory board is advising to not do something that is making money. Maybe it's the cash cow for the corporation. And, and, and I just don't think there's a good answer on that at the moment. I think, um, so, so the, the, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned earlier, I asked that very question in terms of the mechanics and, and, and the answer was broadly, um, there, is, there is a question that's raised and the, and the advisory board then kind of makes a decision and, and gives some advice. And that's published. So it's public advice. And then, it's, of course, it is that business's decision whether to take that advice or not to take that advice. And that needs to be kind of public to some degree as well. So there's an audit trail. Now, if all of the advice is ignored, then kind of we're not moving it forward in the positive direction. Yes. And, and I think... The, 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 the whole premise behind CDR was to move beyond reporting. It was not sufficient to be seen to be 
looking good because we published some reports that kind of were scored effectively. We needed to do things that made a tangible difference that changed the direction of travel. And, and, and I think that's the difference that we're trying to kind of make. And that's the, 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 the people and the organisations that are involved in, in the CDR movement are very much driving for it has to be tangible change. None of the, I mean, for the last 10 years, we've talked about cloud washing, green washing, everything washing. This time it's got to be real. But I do think that, that it is the hardest thing to change when we've had decades of operation to kind of particular economic mechanisms and, and the way that businesses work, that very point that you make when something is flagged uh, that will have a financial negative impact on what was envisaged, but there are sound, good reasons why that should not happen, we, we as society, we as businesses are going to have to work through those and work out maybe does there need to be regulation or policy that... that that, that oversees that or drives that. I know that much of the work in Germany, for example, around CDR has been based on a voluntary basis. Yes, there are underlying things that are relevant in terms of the uh, some of the things that are being introduced across Europe around uh, the DSA, DMA, etc., uh, AI kind of um, policies, etc. But 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 there is still that question of. Will there come a time when there needs to be some regulation put in place uh, to mandate adherence to some of those questions or, or, or some of that advice that is given? But we're too early in the process at the moment to be able to kind of give an answer on that. We can, we can just envisage how it might operate. Well, let's keep going down that road on the envisioning. And what are some other things that you envision how this plays out well, I, th I think um, w one of the things that we're doing at the moment is um, there are a number of definitions of CDR um, and um, they are broadly kind of the same. So I would say that there's an 80-90% kind of alignment between the various definitions that exist. Um, and it would be nice to kind of just bring that together. So, So one of the conversations at the moment is with the group of people that have been involved in those various definitions to just, can we come up with um, something that aggregates them at a high level uh, together? I don't, I don't believe that we've got time or, or there is time for detailed standards to be thrashed out. That, that takes, we haven't got years. We, we need to do things now. Mm -hmm. But at least if we've got that kind of common reference point where we can all talk about things and, and there's the clarity about how does CDR fit alongside um, the various other things that we've referenced and talked about in this podcast? At, at least there's commonality of understanding. Sharing of best practice and awareness uh, is one of the things that I'm very much focused on. My, I see my role as joining the dots and, and, and just enabling um, some of the contacts that we've got in the US. I did a webinar in the US last week. Uh, to, to have visibility of some of the things that are happening in Germany and the guys that are in Germany have some of the thing, visibility of the things that are happening in the UK and so on. So how do we each learn um, what's happening and how do we make it real? How do we, uh, it's one of the conversations that I've had uh, with Michael uh, Wade, who's kind of 
uh, wrote one of the other definitions that was in the MIT Sloan Review. How do we tr transition from uh, these concepts to tangible progress within businesses? How, wh where can we see those exemplars? Um, how do we accelerate that? Um, and 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 I, th and I think that's that's. You asked about what would what would the vision be? I think if we can get that clarity over 2021 that says um, we've better connected the dots, we've better plugged into the various networks and activities in 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 because as as you'll know from from the podcast that you've done. There are a number of adjacent kind of initiatives here that we're talking about, and this 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 is a part of that. Um, then that would be good progress, and and I think the more that we see some organisations pushing um, part of the CDR piece, whether it be the focus on environmental, the focus on ethics, inclusion, accessibility, trust, privacy, and any or all of those, the more we see organisations pushing those forward, then brilliant. Success is not judged by whether something's called CDR or not. Success is judged by the impact that we have on society and value and, and, and people and the planet. That's good to hear you're not so attached to the name. <laughs> you're more attached to the outcome. And I really like this idea of action speak louder than words. How can we put this into action? How can we make this work and stop talking about it. And this is something that I, you know, speaking to so many different people that are in or around this field, it seems like it would be really a lot easier for everyone if we could agree on a standardized, hey, this is what it is. This is the overarching framework or uh, important pieces. And here is the, like you said, an overview because, and then we can hash out all the details between the experts in the, each individual niche. But for the most part to say, look, these are the important pieces that we need to be focusing on and we can agree on that. And so we can start putting it into practice and really start taking action on it like you're talking about. And so one thing while you were speaking that comes to mind about how you're connecting these dots. And I love that idea how do you feel about, I know at the beginning of this podcast, you spoke about uh, this team that you were working with that you had people in, in Ghana, I think, and people in the Far East and in Europe and in the US. How do you feel about the idea of developing nations being able to implement this? When a, a country is, I just, I am thinking about that instantly. Like, when a country's just starting to come out of maybe, or just starting to get the middle class growing and they're doing it by maybe not the best ways. And now you or people are asking of them, hey, well, let's you know comply to these different standards. And that just, again, it destroys the business model or it, it makes it very hard for them to continue sustained growth. The, I think the thing, one of the challenging points in, that I made in 2016 um, that, that, that was said intentionally to get people to think was um, we looked at the demographics globally and, and, and we had a hypothesis that said 
um, in Western society and specifically kind of North America and Europe, there was a higher resistance to change. Uh, there was more legacy, uh, thinking about technology and ways of working. And, and, and actually in China and in Africa and, and, and other parts of the world, uh, we have seen a, a, a kind of technological innovation jump because they haven't had some of those legacy embedded behaviors and, and, and technologies that are resistant to change. Um, I, I was on a webinar a few a couple of months ago and uh, there was an entrepreneur, I think from Rwanda, who was talking about using blockchain uh, as a way of um, authenticating and tracking um, contributions from organizations wanting to offset through to the value of an elephant being more better alive, having an impact on carbon emissions in terms of it just walking around uh, doing the things an elephant does rather than the value of its tusks. So the reason I mentioned that that is clearly somebody thinking outside the box, bringing kind of emergent technologies to bear on an issue that had an impact on um, emissions and biodiversity. And, and, and then hopefully just making it happen. And, and I think that's, that's, I don't want, I don't think it's right to see CDR as getting in the way um, or, or indeed ESG. I mean, it comes back to some of the evidence of ESG is that those organizations that are performing higher are gaining greater uh, financial positive outcomes, have easier access to capital or cheaper access to capital, etc. So it's really an opportunity for organizations to do things differently to have a better aligned purpose, uh, to, to, to kind of think about how do they attract people to want to make a difference, work for them. Um, and, and I think, um, in, in a sense, it's trying to use digital as an enabler of doing things in a more positive output way, rather than saying these are things that you can't do or kind of get in the way of you, you achieving. So, so I, it's a fair question, and I think it's it is something to, to to consider to get the balance right. Certainly, when we're talking about it from a potential policy or regulations that kind of might be put in place, but I'd equally kind of point to um, it, it it being empowering people to try and kind of create new models, new business models, new initiatives, utilizing digital technologies, which are kind of on the whole easier to access. If you understand how to do that, there's a kind of learning and training thing there as well in terms of um, inclusiveness. Um, but I prefer to kind of think of it in that context as a enabler of anyone. And we've seen it in the pandemic, haven't we? I mean, we are able to have conversations anywhere in the world uh, with anybody. Yeah. Um, not that we've had much choice about that in terms of needing to do that as our primary way of interacting. But, but again, what does that do to business models uh, as we emerge out of the pandemic um, and, and thinking about how people can innovate and do things differently? Fascinating points. And I like that story about what's going on in Africa and the different business model and using the blockchain to create more value from having an elephant alive than having the tusks of an elephant to hopefully deter hunters 
and make them <laughs> elephants' bodyguards or something. I, mm. I think that is really an innovative way of looking at it. And now, let's talk a little bit about your blog post that goes into details of the Digital Ethics Advisory Board mm-hmm. as a service. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what that is and, and why that came about? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was, um, I had an email uh, one day from um, the CEO of an organization in India. Uh, and, and he had read one of the articles uh, on on the website. And, and it had just made him think um, about some of the ways in which they were working. And, and he asked three questions, uh, and they're on the blog. Um, and and I wanted to, I think one of the things that I'm very conscious of in, in these conversations is when we're thinking about what, what you can or can't do with data or um, how you utilize uh, AI machine learning in, um, in, in explainable ways that, that for people, then especially for organizations that work everywhere around the globe, you kind of need to understand what's the law, what are the regulations that you need to comply with? Uh, what are the ethical guides that exist? And how does that vary dependent on the market or the submarket in which you operate, the local geography, the regional geography, and the global kind of position? So that's a massively complex matrix, isn't it, when you think about it, to, to find a path through when organizations operate in multiple of those. And they change all the time, too. So um, so we tried to answer his questions and, and did so by engaging um, people in academia, uh, legal kind of people, uh, data people, and, 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 and the blog post just told the story of, of how that was put together. Now, in, in that case, he knew it, 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 this, this was he knew he had a gut feel what right, the right things to do. So it was providing the evidenced and the audit trail for what the right things to do were that he kind of innately knew anyway, but it was to evidence the thinking. And then I'll come back to that point I, I, I mentioned earlier. Um, clearly, there are people with some of that knowledge and some of that capability. But it's a bit like when we all put in place a DPO, when GDPR came along, there weren't enough DPOs to go round. There are not enough people to provide an advisory board to every business on a dedicated basis as of tomorrow because there's just not the knowledge or the skills. So it was just that process of thinking, well, surely there's probably a need to bring together those range of insights and skills because I think independent input as a, as part of an advisory panel is a, is, is a really important part you should any any organisation should have an external input. It shouldn't be within the organisation solely. Um, and and it was therefore just that principle of is this something that actually makes sense? Does this kind of work as a model to help organisations through some of these dilemmas, some of these challenges, the thought processes that they will inevitably be going through today and and certainly over the next kind of two three years. Now, you spoke about something interesting there, which is the the audit trail that this person who wrote you had the idea of what was right and the right way to go, but this confirmed 
that way to go. I'm wondering about those decisions where you get a split camp and some people you ask say, well, if you look at it this way, it's, it's like this, this, and this. If you look at it this way, it's this, this, and this. Making those decisions and having a, an ethics advisory panel that can give you both sides of the coin and really say, we want to go this way. I think you mentioned before, the advice would be published and then it's the company's idea or it's the company's choice whether they want to follow that advice or not. Is that how it works out? Well, that was in that particular case. And I think, in a sense, it's like anything. You're never going to get... In many of these things, there there isn't a right and wrong answer, is there? There may be extremes which are clearly inappropriate and there may be kind of things that are clearly okay. But most things, if they're being asked as a question, will be in that kind of grey area in the middle. And, And therefore, there will always be opinions and in a sense, the role of a, a panel or a, an advisory board is surely to consider those views and to consolidate against a, a, an agreed recommendation. And that agreed recommendation could be um, universally agreed or it could kind of be a, a split decision as such. But nonetheless, there is a considered approach and an audit of this is what has been recommended. And, and, I, and I'm kind of with the bank in terms of that principle of... If you have a group of people whose opinion you are um, consulting with, then it's right to consult and it's right to listen and it's right that you make that decision, whatever that decision might be. And and it's right that that process be um, transparent, at least in the context of um, an audit process, um, should it need to be checked at some point in the future. So, So I think, yes, that makes sense. I'll come back to... This is still embryonic. This is kind of things that need to be ironed out as, as we put them into place. We being society, kind of rather than anybody individually. Um, and I think what's important, I'll go back to, I would rather that some people were doing something rather than some people looking at it and going, That's, that, we're not going to get that perfect, therefore it's too hard, therefore we won't. Mm. I'd, I'd rather that there was something that was broadly right. It's like an easy out to say, oh, this is too high stakes. Let's just not take any action. <laughs> that is such a... It's immensely important how big of a point that is because you've got to try something. And if something doesn't work, then you iterate on it. Absolutely. Continue iterating until, and the more data points and the more people that are trying, then we are going to be able to see what is working and what's not. Hopefully, we can see that, hey, well, it looks like this is a best practice as we have a few years of data and a lot of people that are trying. So I, I really think that is, that's huge. Yeah. Don't let that stifle your ability. The idea of it being such a big problem or high stakes problem or or whatever it is, the decision is too difficult to make. Don't let that stifle your ability to just actually do something. Make one decision because you have to make one decision. At the end of the day, an indecision is a decision. Uh, so, So very, very well put. Now, we're coming to the end of our chat. I've had 
an incredible time talking with you. I would like to know just, I have one or two more questions. One is on these advisory panels, do you have a certain profile of people that would be on this panel? And how do you look at that? Um, I think I think I'll go back to that matrix that I talked about. So um, I think it's important that there is uh, representation for the areas of expertise that you typically wouldn't see within um, or that you need specifically in the areas that we're talking about here, which is kind of broadly uh, data and technology, but from each of a in-depth understanding and a legal perspective. So when we're talking about digital ethics specifically as a case in point, depth of understanding around data, depth of understanding around algorithms, uh, AI techniques, uh, depth of understanding around legal consequence, regulation, policy, um, art of the permissible, uh, which are kind of increasingly using more than art of the possible, around the use of those technologies to process such data. That's if I used to sit on, I mean, I, my, my previous role was um, chief operating officer in a business. So not everyone in every board is going to have that depth of knowledge about those things. There will be some people who understand legal. There will be some people who understand data. There will be some people who understand technology, etc. But it's the expertise in depth that's that's the key thing here. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the panels need to bring that depth of expertise and insight. And I think I'll go back to what I said earlier around the technologists who always kind of look towards utopian outcomes. Or another example, I once once upon a time I had a problem with my back um, and, and the surgeon said, we need to take the disc out and fuse your back together. And the physiotherapist said to me, he would say that he's a surgeon. The technologists are going to be naturally positive about technology. You need people who can understand the consequence on society or the planet. So ph- ph- philosophers, psychologists, um, environmental list people who understand the impact of those decisions people who have expertise in uh, the depth uh, in terms of the technologies or the data that's involved that that that's the different input that i think you need on those panels as well as yes the people who understand the domain uh, and the principle and the nature of that business does that make sense completely and it reminds me of, I was speaking with Yoav a few episodes ago and he was talking about, uh, I can't remember exactly if this was the term that he used, but it was like techno-chauvinism, which is basically everything can be fixed with technology. Uh, any problem we have can be fixed by using technology. And it was that that idea of, yeah, but can it though? Is every problem a problem that should or can be fixed by by tech? And so it reminds me of that. Every when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, yeah. So one last question for you before we finish it off. And I really, again, I appreciate this conversation. I'm going to ask Rob: Are you a robot? <laughs> Oh dear me! Um, 
Look, um, robots are, th are, are things that follow instructions and, and process data. Um, that's kind of what we do. Um, but I'd like to kind of say that I do it with a bit more creativity and humanity than those that exist at the moment. Um, but uh, it's, it has been fun. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you again for joining me. This was super insightful and I love what you're doing. I love this idea of taking action. We just need to do something. We need to start, take action and iterate on it. Make sure that as cliche as it is, our actions speak louder than words, right? And we got to we got to start putting it into practice. Let's do it. I'm all for that and thanks again. Cheers. It's been a pleasure.